Luke chapter 2 is where we're going to be tonight. So if I find your place, Luke chapter 2. You know, the, the Bible, every single gospel gives us insight into Jesus, his life. It's what we know about him. It's what history records about him. His words, his, his birth, his life. But it was his birth that's only recorded in two of the Gospels. So Matthew and Luke and, um, and Mark and John say nothing about his birth. They start right into his life. Um, all talk about his, his death, of course, his resurrection. Those are so important. Um, but Matthew gives a little bit different twist on the Christmas story. Luke was the one who really gives us the most detail. So this time of year, uh, that's where we turn most frequently. And if you're a dad who reads the Christmas story to your family or you review that, that's probably where you'll turn. And so where many of our messages come tonight. And, and just what a lovely story. What a beautiful picture of Christ's birth. And so grateful for the story. And so much to learn uh, from this passage throughout our lifetime. And so let's look once more there tonight. Stand with me if you would, out of honor for God's Word. And we'll look at just a few uh, thoughts tonight that would be helped to us as we enter the weekend. And as we spend time with families and reflect on God's uh, goodness to us and the birth of His Son. So, verse 8 is where we'll start tonight. The Bible says there were in the same country, and most of you could probably recite this from, from memory. Uh, shepherds, and they were abiding in the field, and they're keeping watch over their flock by night. And lo, the angel of the Lord came upon them. The glory of the Lord shone round about them, and they were sore afraid. The angel said unto them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. This shall be a sign unto you, shall find the babe, wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest. And then I want us to focus on this phrase tonight. And on earth, peace, a goodwill toward men. Let's pray tonight. Lord, thank you for uh, your love for us, the chance to be together tonight. I pray that you'd speak to our hearts and uh, that we be strengthened by both the fellowship and message in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. I want to say thank you for the text. I was sick, of course, on Sunday unexpectedly and came down with something on Saturday evening. And uh, it just took me out of commission on Sunday. And usually I'm the one sending those types of get well texts and, and thoughts and prayers. And to be on the receiving of that end of that is so meaningful and uh, kind and so uh, thank you, and then always extend those to other people that really well, received well, and I really appreciate the prayers and, and thoughts there. Um, here in Luke chapter 2, um, most historians believe that the events that transpired here uh, and the time frame for when Jesus would have been born would have been around the time frame of March or April in Bethlehem. And why we celebrate in December, um, there are lots of reasons. You can Google it. It goes back hundreds of years. And it's a, it's a rabbit trail, or rabbit hole, I should say, and, and almost nobody knows for certain, um, but there are a lot of guesses. I won't go into all the history of that tonight, uh, but there's a reason, and so we celebrated this time of year. But his actual birth, they guess, was have been about March or April there in Israel. And during that time frame, the climate would have been extremely cold and wet. It was a rainy season. It's not a time for shepherding, uh, at least to be enjoyed, Someone has to do it. Sheep don't watch themselves very well. And so the shepherds were watching their sheep in the country in this less than ideal time of year. The text suggests to us or tells us outright that it was nighttime. And so in the darkness was when bad things would have happened for shepherds. Um, that was when thieves would steal. 
when wolves would devour, when sheep would get lost most easily. But these shepherds in Luke 2 uh, were experts, and they didn't scare easily. And they had likely seen some things and even fought off predators and thieves to protect their sheep. This was, after all, their livelihood. But here in the darkness and perhaps tranquility of night, it's quiet, it's dark, and the text says what happens. Well, here's this angel. And it's not a multitude of angels, at least not yet. It's singular, and here is this angel. And he shows up, he, shows up, he comes upon them, and the Bible says the glory of the Lord shone round about them. And so we get this idea of light. And then it just says this, they were sore afraid. That feels like an understatement uh, to me. Uh, Josh, would you pump up the volume up here on the platform a little bit? It would be just the monitors. And so here they are, and they're sore afraid. If one angel wasn't terrifying enough, though, the Bible says suddenly. So out of nowhere, there is a heavenly host that appears. What is a heavenly host? Well, the Greek word for host is stratia. It's a derivative of stratos, and it means an encamped army. So these weren't Cupid angels, right? These are more like Delta Force angels. They were terrifying. They were wondrous. They had this glory of the Lord that was shining about them. And so the idea that we might have of an angel would be a little bit different than perhaps what they saw. And I'm not saying I know what they saw. I'm just telling you what the words mean here. And the idea here is heavenly warriors. And so here's one heavenly warrior with the glory of God. And then in a moment and suddenly, here's a bunch of them and here they are. It's this army, this hev these heavenly warriors that are there. And so if the shepherds weren't excited at this point, they're really excited now, okay? They're, they're just over the edge. And, and these angels have to tell them, fear not. Like, calm down, guys. Uh, you know, it's going to be okay. We're not here to hurt you. We know this is an amazing sight for you. And this is a side note. The heavenly warriors were there before the angels, before the shepherds saw them. They were just revealed for a moment. And they didn't go anywhere. So they were still there. They may have been uh, not visible to them any longer, but they were still there. And a comforting thought tonight, they're still here. And the Bible teaches us that. And so we don't see them tonight, but they're very much a part of our existence. And they're very real. And there is a heavenly army. And there's a battle that's waging all around us at all times. And one day we will see that. We aren't told that these heavenly warriors were singing. Um, maybe they were. I, I don't know. But they did have a really important message. And their message went like this. Glory to God in the highest. Why? Because the culmination of prophecy, the culmination of God's love, the culmination of God's amazing grace was not too far from where these shepherds were, lying in a manger, born to a humble woman and man, in less than ideal conditions, but the salvation of humanity, the fulfillment of God's promises, and a baby who was 100% God and 100% man was just born. 
and they look at this and they, these warriors, they say to these shepherds, glory to God in the highest. And they didn't stop there. And they say the rest of the message is, is this, and on earth. So up here, we give glory to God who is on high. I mean, that's what these angels do. And it's what we're called to do. But they say, and then down here, peace on earth and goodwill from God, goodwill toward men. What a message. And, and here these shepherds are absorbing, being the first ones to truly absorb this announcement. Earth needed, desperately needed, and still needs peace. And, and I don't just mean peace with one another. We need that too. But we desperately need more than any other thing, peace from God. Since Genesis chapter 3, man has been at enmity with God. Enmity is a Bible word, and it means opposed. Sin created an opposition. It, it created this impasse between God and all descendants of Adam and Eve. Here were Adam and Eve uh, created in perfection. But then they sinned and they trespassed against God. And between the seed of Adam and Eve and God himself was this enmity. Romans chapter 5 verse 10 says that literally we were enemies with God. So here's this angelic warfare, Delta Force angels. Here's these guys up here who are alone terrifying enough. And then there's God who created them. And here we are. And we're in opposition with all of them. And that's what the Bible says. We're enemies with them. We're literally fighting against him and them in conflict between us and them. Our will against his. Our ideas against his truth. Our selfishness against his goodness, enmity, opposition, enemies. And this was not how God wanted us to relate to one another. For those of you that married, for those of you that have parents, Maybe a relationship that's supposed to be a close relationship and something happens and all of a sudden you find yourself on different sides of an issue. And that's never happened with, you know, my family or with my children or wife, but for you, maybe, I, I don't know. You may respond tonight. It's, 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 laughter is okay. All right. And so here's this opposition that may take place between like me and Elizabeth and all of a sudden we're, 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 we're enemies, and we're not supposed to be that way. Or here's my child and I, and we're, now we're opposing one another. And, 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 and we don't like that. We need to fix this. And so what does one of the parties do? Comes to the other, the parent to the child, the husband to the wife, the wife to the husband, and says, look, we're acting like we're enemies, and we're family, and we're married, and there needs to be some unity and love here. This isn't how I want to relate to you. We understand that in our human relationships, this is how God felt about us, but so much more. Like we're, we're in opposition, we're enemies, and we need to fix this, and you can't fix it, so I'm going to. So I'm going to send my only son. I don't have another son. I don't have a daughter. I just have one son, and he means everything to me. He's, all of my dreams and my love and my hope are wrapped up in this son. But it's, he's the only one that can fix this. And so he sends him. And he's born. And the angels say, glory to God in the highest. And by the way, whether you realize it or not, how good this moment is, how amazing God's grace is, peace on earth, goodwill toward men. He wanted peace. 
God had disappointment and hurt from the fall of sin, but goodwill was and is in his heart. God didn't want to fight. He wanted peace. Peace means in a general sense a state of quiet, of tranquility, freedom from disturbance or agitation. See, our natural and sinful state is to have a troubled mind. Anyone know what that feels like? A troubled mind that won't shut off, that worries, that's insecure, it's at odds, no peace. Our natural and sinful state is to have an agitation in our hearts, disturbed relationships, broken character, sadness and despair that creeps in, fearfulness, and on top of all of that, here we are, that's our natural sinful state and our brokenness. And on top of all that, in eternity, that God says, look, because of your sin, and because of the separation, because of the enmity between us, your eternity is to be cast out. It's, it's hell. And that's where you're headed. Unless I intervene. Unless I do something to fix this. So how did God send His goodwill? Well, through the peace with mankind that only came through the birth, but also the death. He was born, and that's exciting, but He was born with the purpose to die. And then the resurrection of His one and His only Son. I want you to turn to Philippians chapter 4 tonight, and I want to tie these two texts together uh, as best we're able. And I think there's a, th- there's a thread here that runs throughout the Bible, certainly between these two texts. So, Christ, of course, born, died, rose again. Apostle Paul comes on the scene. And he writes these words in Philippians chapter 4 and verse 4. And he says, Rejoice in the Lord always. And again I say, rejoice. Not an option. It's just saying, if you're a Christian, you love God, you have a responsibility to rejoice. And so Christmas is a season for rejoicing, so rejoice. And the day after Christmas when you're taking down all the lights, um, it might feel depressing. It's still a season to rejoice. Okay? So this is what we're called to do. This is a discipline. It's a character trait that we're to adopt. It's part of who Christ is. And all of these things are. Then he says, let your moderation be known unto men. The Lord is at hand. Be careful for nothing, but in everything. By prayer, supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made unto God and the peace of God, he says here, which passeth all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. So if we will learn to employ certain disciplines that are found in these verses, well then the result is that we find a what? A peace of God that no one understands. You can't articulate it. It's hard to explain, but you feel it and you sense it. So the angels say, Jesus came to give us peace on earth. And Paul says, you can have this kind of peace. You have to do some things for it. You're going to follow Christ. But the peace he came to bring, it doesn't get dumped in your lap and it's not yours unless you take it. And you're going to have to do some things to get it. And so he talks about this peace of God. Of God okay? But then in verse 8 he says this, Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest and just, whatsoever things are pure and lovely, whatsoever things are of good report, if there be any virtue, if there be any praise, think on these things. 
And then he says, those things which ye have both learned and received and heard and seen in me, he said, do them. And then this phrase, and the God of peace shall be with you. So we read about the peace of God. Then he flips it and he says, there's not just the peace of God, there's the God of peace. And there's a distinction between the two ideas and we need both. We need the peace of God. And Paul gives us these instructions on how to get it. There's literally a field manual on it, which deserves its own sermon series. But he gives us these ideas. And he says, if we're going to have it, then we're going to have to cease being anxious. We're going to have to cease being afraid. And we're going to have to experience the peace by consciously and intentionally making a choice and taking control of our perspective and aggressively adopting an attitude of joy. It's saying, I'm going to put aside my despair, I'm going to focus on the Lord, and I'm going to make it a point of my life to grow in sanctification and in joy. But that's going to be a focus of my life. Verse 5, and he says, talks about this idea of moderation. And that allows us to bring a gentler spirit to our personalities. Oh, there's, there are sides of all of our personalities that need some adjustment. They can be a little caustic, can be a little unforgiving, can be a little hostile. They can maybe be too apathetic. And he says, we're going to moderate, we're going to become a better person. We need to have a gentler spirit. And as we do that, as we focus on being people of joy, as we, as we moderate who we are and change and become better people, our personalities, he says in verse 5, we remember the Lord is near, that, that He's here with us, that he's, he's helping us. And that's both a comfort and responsibility. And then we're able to pray. And so we come to Him and we cast our cares on Him in every situation in verse 6. And then, and then we, we, as we identify those elements in our life, in our circumstances that we can be thankful for, because that's, a, that's a, again, this is a matter of choice. And we say, well, I don't have a lot to be grateful for. That's a choice. You do have a lot to be grateful for, but you got to find it sometimes. you got to focus, refocus your attention and look at the right things. Stop feeling sorry for yourself. Start thinking about other people. And he says, so we, we refocus and we find gratitude and joy. Then in verse 7, here's this incredible outcome. The peace of God that Jesus, by the way, was born to bring and the angels announced suddenly produces these habits. They produce a reality in our lives that you can't buy. It doesn't come from Amazon. It won't get delivered to your door in two days. You can't pick it out. You've got to earn it. But it comes and it's the result of these types of behaviors and attitudes. And it changes your personality. And it changes your life. And more than that, it changes your legacy and your eternity and what you experience one day in eternity. And he says, and then this peace of God, his own unlimited measure of composure. This isn't man's composure, this is God's composure. It's strong, it's deep, it's fathomless, it's unshakable, it's grounded in eternal hope. This is God's peace. No threat can disturb him. No foe can oppose him. It defies our attempts to describe it, to analyze it, to explain it, or even to comprehend it. 
This is the peace that God himself possesses with the infinity of his attributes. It is supernatural. The Bible says it, it passes understanding. You can try to comprehend it and you won't be able to. It keeps. And here's this word again. It's a military term. It's used to describe a, a contingency of soldiers assigned to guard someone. So here's Jesus, Delta Force angels assigned to guard him, and they're there. And the, and the shepherds see them, and this peace of God, which keeps us, is the same idea. It literally takes care of you, like soldiers guarding someone. It's a protective force around you, literally. It's not just a warm and fuzzy feeling. It is part of God's special forces assigned to protect your thoughts and emotions and your heart and mind. And Isaiah put it this way in chapter 26. He said, that will keep him in perfect peace whose mind, this is, this is a battlefield of the mind, is stayed on thee. What happens when our mind is strayed from him? No peace. But the mind, when it stayed on thee, because he trusteth in thee. Trust ye in the Lord forever is his admonition. For the Lord Jehovah is everlasting strength. You want this peace of God? You're going to have to do some things for it. And your mind's going to have to be stayed on him. Through Jesus Christ. And Paul recognized this. It's what the angel said and it's why he came. It's to bring us this kind of peace. Isaiah 9.6 said of the Messiah, he'd be called the Prince of Peace. In chapter 53 of Isaiah, verse 5, we read that he was wounded for our transgressions, bruised for our iniquities. And then this phrase, the chastisement of our peace was upon him. What's the chastisement of our peace? There was a price to be paid for peace. It was a cost. It was a cost you couldn't pay. So he paid it. And his birth brought that. This was, this was, the, the angels said, glory to God in the highest, what he's doing. Maybe for the angels, it wasn't as exciting for them as it was for us. Maybe in their announcement, it wasn't so much of a party as they're looking, thinking, this is the fulfillment of God's promise. Yes. And now, in just a few short years, we're going to watch him die. And they knew it. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. Upon the shoulders of a little baby. But with his stripes, we are healed. The peace of God comes through him. Romans 5.1 says, therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Ephesians 2.14 says, He is our peace. John 14.27, Jesus, on the eve of His crucifixion and death, He said, I'm about to leave. I don't have any money to leave you. <laughs> Sorry, guys. I don't have any lands to give you. I don't have any titles to bequeath you with. But I do have something to leave with you. And so he says in John 14, 27, peace 
I leave with you. So I'm going to leave, but this is what I'm going to give you. I'm going to give you what the angels said I came to bring. When I was born, the night I was born, peace on earth, he said, peace, I leave with you. My peace, my peace, I give. I give it to you. I'm going to bear the price for this peace, but I'm going to give this to you. It's a free gift. He says, not as the world give I unto you. He says, it's peace. So he says, let not your heart be troubled and don't let it be afraid. There's a lot that's going to cause you to be afraid. There's going to a lot that's going to cause you to be troubled. But I'm here and I'm giving you my peace. It is our inheritance. If you're a believer and a child of God, it's not the absence of conflict. It's not the non-existence of problems. It's not some perfect fairy tale life. Rather, in the midst of hardship and conflict and difficulty, it stabilizes our thoughts. It stabilizes our emotions in every situation. We need the peace of God. But Paul points this out too. We don't just need the peace of God. We need the God of peace. The God of peace. Biblical peace isn't a lighthearted, devil-may-care attitude of frivolity. It takes life seriously. It's aware of the gravity of any situation. But when peace rules in the heart, the soul is anchored in the storms. See, we have the peace of God within us. And this is what Jesus was saying. Peace I leave with you. Within you, he says, you need my peace, the peace of God. So I have that within. But then beside me, and in front of me, above me, and around me, I have the God of peace. So I'm never going to leave you. I'm going to die. But I'm never going to leave you. I'm not going to forsake you. I'm going to give you my Holy Spirit. I'm going to be here with you. You're going to have something that all the humans who lived before you never had. This, you, you, you guys got it good. You've got the peace of God, and you have both the God of peace, too. In John 16, he said, These things I have spoken unto you, that in me you might have peace. In the world you shall have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I overcame it, and I'm going to, and you're going to be okay. Because you have something within you, and you have someone beside you that the world cannot comprehend and will never understand. But you have it, and I leave it with you. Annie Johnson Flint, she was a lady who in 1866, so this was a few years ago, she was born on Christmas Eve. She was a prolific po poem writer. At a young age, both her parents died. The couple that adopted her, they too died. I read her story today, and it was, it's a very long biography, but she was blessed to come to know the Lord at an early age, and she really gave her heart to them. She was still a young woman when she developed arthritis, and it became a crippling form that completely left her dependent on the care of others. It was extremely painful. And uh, it would eventually kill her. She was not supposed to be able to write, but she would do so anyway with great, great pain. And one of her poems, she spoke about how God multiplies peace amid multiple trials and he, how he gives more grace when our strength is low, when resources are depleted, and when our labor increases. And she wrote these words in the poem, He giveth, and He giveth, and He giveth again. 
Years later, a man named Hubert Mitchell became a missionary to Indonesia. And he was reaching remote groups of people. And these people had never heard about Jesus. And he himself, his wife, his children, they went through untold agonies on the mission field. And he took that poem, and it strengthened him so much that he put music to it. Because the Lord imparted grace to him and gave him peace over and over and over again. And we know the song as he gives more grace. And the words in the poem and the song say, state this, to multiply trials, God multiplied peace. Doesn't matter how much tribulation the world throws at us. God just throws in more peace. He throws in more grace. And when our sorrows are multiplied, when our trials keep coming, God miraculously gives more grace and he just multiplies peace. John chapter 20. You don't need to turn there. The disciples were gathered together. Jesus had died. They were scared to death. They are waiting to be hauled off and crucified themselves. That's what they're waiting for. I mean, they fled, and they knew they were coming for them now, and they are scared to death. They didn't know it yet, but Jesus wasn't dead, and he was very much alive, and he appears to them. <laughs> kind of like the angels did to the shepherds. Just boom, he's there. Have you ever scared someone really good? That would be like this would be like. Would be like. And so we read these first words to, in John chapter 20, verse 19. Jesus says to his disciples, the same day at evening, being the first day of the week when the doors were shut, when the disciples were assembled for fear of the Jews. I mean, they are, they are terrified. They're, gonna, they're next. Came Jesus, and he stood in the midst there's so much that happens in those words. But these are his first words unto them. He hasn't said anything to them yet. Boom, he's there. Boom, they're terrified. Wow, they're looking at him. First words out of his mouth. Peace be unto you. Peace be unto you. In verse 20, when he had so said, he showed them his hands and his side. Like, I'm real. I'm not just a ghost. I'm real. And then were the disciples, the Bible says, Glad. And another understatement in the Bible. Like, wow, like if he can do that, and if he's here with us, and if he didn't really abandon us, and if he said, I'm going to leave you peace, and he shows up and his first words are, peace be unto you, we're going to be okay. And I want you to know, you're going to be okay. And it's going to be okay. Because you have the same Lord. And that's what peace does. It brings gladness. John chapter 20, verse 21, Jesus says unto them again, this is emphasis. This isn't, this isn't just filling the air with noise. So he says unto them again, the text says, peace be unto you. So he said it, shows them his hands and his side, and then says again, guys, get a hold of this. This is emphasis. Peace be unto you. But then he says this, as my father sent me, that's what we read about tonight, Luke 2. So we're going to focus on this weekend. 
We're going to focus on some other fun things too. But that's part of it. So he says, as the Father sent me, here's the baby, think of the shepherds, think of Luke 2. Even so, send I you. Oh, he isn't the only one who helps troubled souls. See, the burden of bringing peace was transferred to you, to these men, to us. He isn't the only one who calms hurting hearts. He isn't the only one to offer and give unsolicited forgiveness. He isn't the only one who presents the knowledge, the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ to other people. He isn't the only one who brings joy and cheer. He isn't the only one who brings peace. He said, my father sent me and now I'm done. My mission's complete. I'm always going to be with you. But now peace is now your responsibility to bring. Even so send I you. It's our job. Romans 12, 8, if it be possible, as much as lieth in you, live peaceably with all men. Hebrews 12, 14, follow peace with all men. I'm okay with that, except for the all part. The all men part gets me a little bit. That's a bitter pill to swallow. Because there's some men... And I say men in terms of mankind, I'd rather not make peace with. There's some people I'd rather not be the bringer of peace to. There's some people I'd rather not witness to. I'd rather not always be sharing my faith out there and passing out tracts and and living in an overt Christian way. I'd rather keep my just peace to myself. But Jesus said, no, 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 no. I I came to bring this, and now I send you to do it. And if you appreciate what I've done for you, then you do what I've called you to do, and you bring peace to your world too. There are some things in life we're going to have to overlook. There's some courage we're going to have to muster. There's some grace we're going to have to extend. There's some forgiveness we're going to have to give even when we don't want to. In His name and because of Him, we have been commissioned to bring peace to a troubled world. But there are blessings that come to those who will. Big blessings that will bring peace to this world, to your relationships, to your home, to your families the way that Jesus did. In Matthew, Jesus points it out. And He says, blessed are the peacemakers for they shall be called the children of God. Jesus came to bring peace, and he brought it. Here's the main point, and I'm done. Maybe, I think. This Christmas, um, this weekend, next few days, you are the application, you are God's application of both the peace of God and the God of peace. It's you. You're the application. You can, if you choose, bring peace into your marriage. 
So whatever conflict's going on there, or will go on there in the kitchen, in the home, at home a little more, whatever agitation's caused there, or maybe something a lot bigger that's unresolved, um, you are sent by Jesus Christ. No, 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 it's their fault. I'm not talking about that. So let's get over that right now because we're Christians. You are called by Jesus Christ. You are sent by Him to bring peace into your marriage. You have the peace of God and the God of peace. And you can, if you choose, be that person. You can, if you choose, bring peace to a hurting home. You can, if you choose, bring peace to a less than ideal extended family get-together. Well, I don't like uncle so-and-so. They're going to talk about Trump. (laughs) Or Bitcoin. (laughs) Or... I'm thinking of things and I better not say them. (laughs) They're going to bring up things that are controversial. Okay. You're sent by God. The peace He brought to the world, night of His birth, we're going to read the story, let's not be hypocrites. Let's live it. Let's be it. We can bring peace to our homes. Young people, your parents might be sharp with you. You might feel disrespected or overlooked. You might not be valued in some way. You could be big enough and Christian enough to bring some peace into your home. You're sent by God. Well, my parents have been saved longer. This is about you and your God, not your parents' God. It's your God. So you can bring peace. We, we all have this responsibility to bring peace. We can bring peace to a soul that doesn't know Jesus Christ. We can be peace to broken relationships and and like what God modeled for us, we can bring peace and we can bring goodwill toward men. So let's have that in our hearts and let's enter the new year with that. And and let's specifically enter this weekend in, in, in that way and with that mindset. Let me ask you to pray tonight with me if you would.